You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, Episode 30. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rentschler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello, coaches. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler professional certified coach, coach educator. I do a lot of work with executives and love mentoring other coaches. I want to welcome you to our 30th episode. Now I realize that that's still in infancy compared to many of the podcasts out there, but it is a milestone for us. So welcome to episode 30. I have so enjoyed doing this show bringing different experts into your cars or your who knows where you're listening through your earbuds and through your PCs or wherever you're accessing the Star Coach show. I absolutely am thrilled to be able to bring this to you and have you touch base with so many different experts in the field of coaching. Today, we're going to focus in on a population that I think might intimidate some people. I certainly have talked with coaches who think, oh my goodness, what would it be like to coach a physician, coach other elite professionals, people who are very highly trained, very high up in their organizations. My friend Bill Barrett comes onto the show today to share his experience in several different places. So luckily, this interview was able to hit on sort of three key areas. First of all, Bill, up until very recently, was the VP of Human Resources at UT Southwestern, which is one of the world's largest medical teaching hospitals. Bill was the VP of HR at UT Southwest for about 14 years. And while he was there, was able to develop their coaching for their organization. Bill and I actually went through our coach training together some almost, you know, what, a decade ago. And one of the things that I love about any kind of professional training that I do is all the other incredible professionals that I'm able to go through that training with. Well, at UT Dallas, our cohort came from, you know, across the world. And luckily, one of my cohort fellow students was Bill Barron. And he just brings us a plethora of information about a what it was like to come into an organization that did not have a coaching culture and build that through their leadership training, what he learned from that experience. And then really sort of the the hub of our interview is around what it is like to coach elite professionals, to coach physicians who are very, very good at so many things and may not be trained or experienced in leadership. 
So how Bill and UT Southwest developed that portion of their organization. And then we look at how Bill transitioned into his retirement. And uh, for the past year, he's been building his coaching consulting business as an individual, and sort of some of the lessons that he's learned through that. So I hope that you are able to get a lot of good information from our interview with Bill. Bill, most recently, as I said, was the VP of Human Resources at uh, the University of Texas Southwest Medical Center in Dallas. But he's also, he just has a, a lengthy background of being in some key positions in the organizations that he's worked in, primarily through HR. His training as a clinical psychologist, and he is able to take the pieces of his education along with his experience in working with people to create this coaching culture. Let's listen to our interview with Dr. Bill Barron. Bill, welcome to the Star Coach Show. It's great to have you here. And we're so excited to hear about your experiences and both how you helped create a culture of coaching in your organization and then sort of transitioned into your own coaching business afterward. So let's start with that whole concept of coaching in an organization and how that started. You come from UT Southwest. Can you tell us just a little bit about your former life and the role you played there and how you set coaching into motion at UT Southwest? Sure. And by the way, thank you for inviting me to do this. Excited to do it. So yeah, I started at UT Southwestern now about 14 years ago and retired about a year ago. And when I got there, it was pretty much a medical school university personnel type function. They had no organization development, leadership development, but we were creating a health system. And one of the things I was asked to do was to create a true human resources organization development function suitable for what could be a major healthcare system. And we started out training our line managers in leadership, and then it became really clear as a medical school-based health system, we needed to also train our physician leaders, which we had many. We had medical directors, division heads, department chairs, none of whom probably asked for leadership roles or volunteered for leadership roles, none of whom went to school to be managers or leaders. So we developed a a whole curriculum and and training program for our managers and our physician leaders. And after a while, it became pretty clear that training for people who are highly technical, like physicians and nurses, isn't enough. It's kind of a one and done. They learn the skills but when they get back into the real workplace, they kind of go away. And like there's no we do, we kind of fall into what's comfortable, right? Yeah. So we just go back to old behaviors. Right. And usually it was peer-like behavior. You know, understanding, accepting the role of manager, boss, leader was kind of different and difficult for them. And there was nobody there to reinforce them or give them feedback about how they were doing because the people they worked for were similarly technical experts, elite professionals, you know, had that experience of real leadership. 
So we kind of fell into coaching. We, we actually worked with UT Dallas and created a class called Coaching as a Leadership Style. And we taught our physician leaders and our managers how to use coaching as a leadership style. And then that kind of led to them requesting coaching for themselves. So you went from just training to training them and then reinforcing that with coaching. Exactly. And, and that worked really well. Because And that felt right, that we were doing the training, we were giving them the skills, and then we were giving them the coaching to take it back into their real workplace. And, you know, when they had to deal with the real issues of conflict, the real issues of change, uh, to have somebody who could, you know, kind of debrief it with them, talk about what worked, what didn't work, why it didn't work, what they could do differently, was a big help. And from there, we started getting more and more demands for that. And so about six or seven years ago, we decided to create an internal coaching practice within UT Southwestern. And we started with our organization development people. There were about four or five of us who either had some level of certification in coaching or we created an internal certification program with the help of Rob Hicks at UT Dallas, to really ensure that they weren't just doing what we call little C coaching, you know, the kind of I'll help you with this, or in a way it was more still advising, Mm -hmm. and really teaching them how to be strong internal coaches. And then what we did was try to build some level of coaching into just about every leadership development training program that we had. And it ranged from, we did a lot of assessment work. What kinds uh, of assessments do you yeah, use so at UT Southwest? Personality assessments like the Winslow. We used behavioral assessments like the DISC. Mm-hmm. We used a variety of 360 assessments. And we included that in our training programs. And, you know, it was also clear to us then that they needed a coach to help them understand it and develop an individual development plan and work on what came out of those assessments. By the way, we also used it with onboarding new executives. Okay, so both leadership development and onboarding. And onboarding was really effective because we had a few failures. We had people who came in who either, most of them weren't the wrong person. They just didn't have the help adjusting to, you know, pretty complicated culture. Mm -hmm. So by doing these assessments and having a coach, virtually all of our new chairs, all of our new physician leaders, and all of our new executives got a coach, got these assessments, and learned how to, you know, assimilate, navigate the culture, deal with the politics, avoid the potholes and landmines, as we called it. And we were a lot more successful with that. I was going to say that must have impacted your ability to hold on to your new leaders, to help them succeed, all yeah. those elements. We actually, I can't tell you this is empirical, but anecdotally, the people who accepted the coaching and took it and used it, stayed. And the people who you know maybe went once or rejected it, by and large, they didn't make it. So either there's some self-selection bias in there or the coaching really did make a difference. And I believe it really made a, a difference. So we used coaching along with these assessments, and then we built it into programs on an ongoing basis, like our master's program that we do with UT Dallas. All of our students get six months of individualized executive coaching. We have a emerging physician leader program for junior faculty who aspire to leadership roles or 
maybe they didn't even know they aspired to leadership roles, but their chairs or their bosses thought they might. Mm -hmm. Uh, We built assessments and coaching into that program. So the training kind of led to the coaching. And then the coaching became kind of an internal practice available to anybody, pretty much on demand at that point. To really strengthen the leadership within the organization, made the organization much more of a coaching culture than it ever was when you got there. Exactly. And we were working at, at two levels. One was coaching the executives to be better leaders, but also teaching our managers to use coaching as a leadership style. So that's a course, as you know, in our master's program. Meg and I teach that together, by the way. Uh, <laughs> and we also teach it we're teaching it to our managers to be part of having a culture is not just being coached, but it's being right. able to use coaching skills to develop your subordinates and your and build your team. It's like an attitude. It's a and it's a language and it's a way to, to better understand that through inquiry and helping people come to the answers themselves, you have more success. Yeah, so. exactly. And your point about the language is a good one because you would hear people asking, what do you want differently? What do you want instead? You'd hear them using questions instead of statements with other people. And that told us, yeah, they're getting it. They're, that must have been really refreshing to hear that ripple through the, the culture, ripple through the organization as yeah. it grew. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, I'll tell you that there's still a lot of work to do because Managers tend to want to be managers and command and control. But, you know, when I left, it was a full court press to really change that. And I know it continues because our master's program continues. And we have some 50 people currently in the program who are learning these skill sets. And invested in that. Absolutely. So one of the things that that leads me to think about is as you were coaching and building coaching into this organizational structure, you probably coached a lot of physicians and a lot of high-powered people who are very smart and focused and very good at what they do. And truthfully, uh, the kind of (laughs) coachee that sometimes intimidates coaches. So I'm wondering, what was that experience like for you to coach elite professionals? Yeah, you're right. One would think that you know, these elite physicians who come out of Harvard and all these places would be arrogant, would think they know everything, would not welcome somebody trying to help them. Here's my theory. My theory is these guys and gals went through 28 years of schooling to be an an elite physician, for example, and they got all A's and A pluses all the way through school. And then they got chosen to be in some leadership role because they were a good clinician not because they had leadership skills. And all of a sudden, they're getting D minuses, and they can't stand it. <laughs> they want to be A students. Yeah, they and don't want to fail at leadership. No, they don't even want to be a B. You know, mm-hmm. they, want to be, they have to be good at everything they do. And therefore, when you coach them, when I coach them, and I coached a lot of physicians, still do, they ate it up. They really wanted to be good at leading. They need a lot of help because compared to, you know, those of us who went to school hoping to be a vice president someday, this is foreign language to them. And also with a lot of elite professionals, they work with other elite professionals who arguably are peers as Mm -hmm. subordinates. And so it's that more, much more challenging to use a coaching style with somebody who doesn't report to you. Right. Or to deal with a conflict with somebody, you know, 
So they actually welcome the help, especially since, like probably any industry, they're dealing with lots of conflict. They're dealing with lots of change, healthcare in particular, dealing with lots of change and not knowing how to navigate that. And so, well, you know, and I would say, well, I kind of specialized in physician coaching. I think when you talk about elite professionals, I think the same thing would be true of lawyers, you know, engineers. I work with a lot of IT people. So do I, yeah. Architects. I mean, mm-hmm. anybody who came up through the technical expert ranks mm-hmm. who never wanted to be in a management role. Never yeah, but at the same time, they want to be able to move up in their organization. Yeah. And the way that organizations are structured, you have to become a leader to be able to move up. And not just move up. What they would say is, you know, as a doctor, I can help one person at a time. As a leader, I can help the world. I mean, Mm -hmm. I can really do great things through other people. And once that light bulb goes off, that's when they start to get it. But that's probably the biggest transition, you know, from being an expert individual contributor to somebody who's got to get things done through other people and have a broader impact Mm -hmm. um, on the profession, on groups of people, on disease states, on whatever it might be. And like I said, once they figure that out, the motivation for change and doing things differently really takes place. I'll also tell you, there are some who never get it. And part of the coaching is really talking with them about, is this the right thing for you? You know, would you rather go back to being an individual contributor, an expert clinician, rather than, you know, having to rely on other people, having to deal with the politics, having to do all these things. And on occasion, that's part of the coaching. And on on occasion, that's where we go. Mm -hmm. So part of your tips on working with somebody, let's say a coaching a physician, is getting clear about is the role they're in the best fit for them. And I think that that would be a tip that all of us might use with any client is the seat on the bus. Are you on the right bus and are you in the right seat? What other tips might you give for partnering with elite professionals, with physicians to help them get to where they want to be in really difficult waters sometimes? Well, two things. One is the assessments are really helpful. So I'll give you an example. I gave virtually all my clients a Winslow personality assessment. And what we would do is look at their profile and then compare it to what would be, quote, the ideal profile for the position that they're in. So, for example, did the position require a lot of structure and were they highly structured? Did the position require a lot of assertiveness? Did they have a high level of assertiveness? Did the position require a lot of sociability or nurturance? Did they have a lot? And you could see it right there on the assessment okay, I'm low on structure, but this job requires structure. So that became the focus of the coaching. And to your point, at that point, the discussion was, how bad do you want to be you? You know, because if you're unstructured, and you want to continue to be unstructured, but the job requires a high level of structure, what are you willing to do? You know, we're not going to change your personality, but you can change your behavior. Right. And And it might take more energy. So are you wanting to contribute that amount of energy to this, to be adaptable? Exactly. Because I might be pretty worn out at the end of the day because I'm behaving in a way that's contrary to the way I'm kind of built. But if the secondary gain that, you know, this belief that as a senior leader, I can impact more people is enough, 
I'm willing to change my behavior up to a point, Mm -hmm. but not change who I am. And, you know, I dealt with one young physician, coached one young physician who was really good at singing, I got to be me. And he was getting in a lot of trouble. Because being me was what? Well, he was kind of arrogant, aloof, and he was an expert clinician. So he would jump in and take over for other people whenever he saw that they might be doing something wrong, rather than trying to teach them, you know, the right way to do it. Which is so interesting. That's not just with physicians. I mean, that can be with all these high level leaders we work with that have such a hard time delegating or allowing somebody to work through the process and learn because I can just do it better and I can do it quicker. Exactly. And so I'm not sure he was really arrogant, but I think it came across that way because of that behavior. And so we actually spent a good deal of time working on that because he wanted to be who he was, but who he was wasn't working. And so when he finally got it, that he could still be who he was, and he might have to be a little bit of who he was outside of work, Mm. but on the job, if he wanted to be effective, he was going to have to change some of his behaviors. Now, At first, the pendulum swung too far the other way, and he just clammed up and wouldn't interact with anybody. And then they started calling him antisocial and aloof. (laughs) And after a while, he kind of figured it out and swung back. Found a good middle ground. Middle ground, and has actually been very successful since that. He was getting a lot of incident reports from nurses about his behavior, which is actually why I ended up coaching him originally. And after about a year of working together, you know, I would meet regularly with his bosses. They were telling me, I'm not getting any more complaints about this guy. Something's changed. And that builds on itself. Mm -hmm. He started feeling good about that. But I asked him, do you still feel like you're, you are who you are? And he said, yeah, I'm just Mm -hmm. doing some things differently. Do you remember, Bill, some of the things that you asked or some of the direction of your conversation to help build that awareness on his part? Yeah. The first part of it was trying to get him past the notion that he was right and everybody else was wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, all these incident reports were wrong and, you know, they're out to get him. So what if I'm the only common denominator? huh? Yeah. And that was the (laughs) the question. Well, if you're getting all these incident reports from different people, hmm, what does that tell you? Yeah. Yeah. And even if they're wrong, they're right. Mm -hmm. Right? That's their perception. And that's the way that it's impacting your job. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, then it was focusing on, do you want to do this? And do you want to do this here? And, you know, he did. And so I didn't have to instruct him on what he needed to do differently. He figured it out. He knew. Mm-hmm. But, it but was, he must have helped by asking questions for awareness for him to be able to figure that out. That's right. And again, the questions were largely about, okay, when you did this, what was the reaction you got? Is that the reaction you want? What do you want instead? What could you do instead that would get a different reaction? And always still be true to who you are. Because that was his big stumbling. He equated his behavior with who he was. Mm -hmm. And while that's generally true, if you want to get a different outcome, you're going to have to do something different. And that's when he began to make the change. So, you know, that's when you feel good about coaching, when you actually see that kind of stuff. What's your overall feeling about what his, at the end game, you know, when you wrapped it up, how successful he felt like his coaching was? He felt very good about it. You know, and and like people do, you know, they say, boy, you know, I'm so glad you told me what to do. And I I said, I never told you what to do. 
You figured it out. You did this yourself. And what does that tell you? Mm -hmm. Because at that point, part of it, you know, good coaching is building that sustainability. And while I know a lot of clients, you know, kind of interpret that the coach advised them or told them what to do, you kind of have to help them see they figured it out and they can figure it out going forward or it won't sustain. Because at some point, the coaching had to stop. It did when I left. And hopefully he's sustained it since then, because you also don't want one of the risks with these elite professionals, especially as an internal coach, is they can get pretty codependent pretty quick because I made myself accessible pretty much 24 seven. And they could call me or come into my office, you know, if they were struggling with something. And, you know, at some point they have to learn to fish, right? Mm -hmm. They have to be able to do this on their own. So while I would take those calls and those visits, I was very careful not to come across like I was telling them what to do Mm -hmm. and make it clear that coaching was about them figuring this out so they could sustain it. Some elite professionals don't like that. I had some IT people, one IT executive who every time we met, it was, tell me what I should do. And I had to remind them about our coaching agreement that that's not the way this works. You know, if you want to come make an appointment with me as the HRVP, I'll be happy to give you some advice. But while we're here doing this coaching thing, that's not what we do. And at first, it was very frustrated. But later on, he told me he was really grateful that I didn't just tell him what to do or he wouldn't have learned anything that he could do himself. Absolutely. So you had this really high leadership position in this large healthcare organization. And then you go and decide to retire. And build your own business. So what's that transition been like for you? You've gone into a coaching consulting business on your own now. What was that transition like? Well, it really was pretty easy. First of all, I took a six-month transition where I stayed on and kept one point about 20 people I was coaching, and then it was about 10 over that six-month period. So I kind of did a gradual withdrawal from it. But you know, now I have a few other priorities. I have a new grandson. I like to travel. And so my biggest fear was when I retired that I'd be sitting in a room somewhere watching soap operas and wearing fuzzy slippers and, you know, getting really fat and stupid. And now that's only on Tuesdays and Thursdays. (laughs) Ironically, not at all. I don't know where the time goes, but I still have coaching clients from Southwestern. I have some other ones that I've picked up along the way, just through word of mouth. As you all know, I do a lot of teaching at UT Dallas and at SMU, and I've got a few consulting projects going on, and I would say it's just enough. You know, you reach a point where if you time it right, it's actually easy to walk away, and it's exciting to think about the new things that you can do. And I manage my own time, and I said, the best thing about it is uh, I don't have a boss. And she looked at me and she said, what are you talking about? (laughs) What am I, chaplain? You know, so. <laughs> but you're your own boss and right. you manage your own time. And when people asked me what I was going to do, I said, I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with whom I want to do it, and only if I want to do it. And after a year, that's what I've been doing. And it's been terrific. But you've wanted to do coaching in that. That's yeah. something that you've chosen to yes. do. So, what is it about coaching that attracts? you even in in your time off or you being able to decide that what you want to do, what makes coaching be part of that? Well, 
it may go way back to, you know, my original schooling was as a clinical psychologist. And I decided early on, I didn't want to be a practicing psychologist. But, you know, ending up in HR, where I really focused a lot on the OD side and helping people grow and develop is just something that is part of me, something I like to do. And so maybe it comes naturally, maybe it goes back to my training as a psychologist, my work as an HR guy, but that's something I wanted to take with me after I retired. And I knew that that's partly why I went out and got certified as a coach, because I knew that would be something I could take with me in so-called retirement. By the way, boomers don't retire. They retire from a job, but they don't retire. And I certainly haven't. So, and, you know, as you, and I'm sure people who are listening to this and watching this will know, there's a lot of gratification and satisfaction in coaching when done well, that mm-hmm. you see people grow, you see them learn, you see them change, and they feel good about it. And you feel good about having been part of it and helping them do that. Likewise, when I teach, I mean, that's the same type of gratification I get is, you know, seeing people learn something new and, you know, the light bulbs going off and the aha moments. Mm-hmm. And, and you get to be part of that. And that's very satisfying. That absolutely is. So, Bill, I can't thank you enough for coming and sharing really kind of a three-pronged thing. You, you shared about building a coaching culture from an organization that didn't have that coaching culture, and then how that worked with you coaching elite professionals and sort of some tips for us about how to coach elite professional, and then ultimately how to do a transition out. And I know that many times coaching becomes a second or a third career for people. Many of the students who come through the University of Texas at Dallas coaching program are on their second or third, they're getting close to retirement and they want coaching as part of that phase of their life. And you're a perfect example of that. So thank you for sharing that with us so that we can get a little glimpse of what that looked like for you and hopefully help other people as they maybe make those transitions as well. So thanks for taking the time. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed it and I hope it's helpful to your listening and watching audience. Awesome. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. Thank you once again to my friend, Bill, for joining us and sharing not only how organizations can strengthen their leadership by combining training with leadership coaching, but also some tips and things to think about as we coach those elite professionals and physicians and professionals who are very skilled and excel at many things and may need additional help and awareness around how to be a particularly strong leader. If you'd like to know more about Dr. Bill Barrett or about our show, please visit starcoachshow.com. Now, while you're on our site, as always, you're going to want to sign up for the free book giveaway if you haven't done so already. Our current book is by Judy Feld, Smart Match Alliances, and you can't win a book if you don't sign up. So go to our contact page to sign up. Also, keep your ears open for more information on the membership site that's going to come available this summer. Next week... We are doing a show around via character strengths, and I'm going to strongly encourage you, if you have never done so, to visit viacharacter.org, that's V-I-A character.org, and 
take the VIA Strength Survey. It is a free survey. It will give you insight into your 24 character strengths. It's an incredible resource and one that you can use with your clients. So if you have taken the VIA Character Strength Survey through the VIA Institute on Character, before listening to the interview next week, you might get just that much more out of it. So I look forward to having you join us again next week. If you need any information, I'll also put the link for the viacharacter.org on the resource page at starcoachshow.com. Until next week, this is your host, Meg Rentschler, wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a great week. Thank you.